Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So it's been a while since we've had Mark Stein on, and I really wanted to get a chance to talk to him, take his temperature on all of this craziness in the offseason that we just saw, the Kawhi trade, this market that was maybe even more restrictive than a lot of people might have thought. Uh, so I guess we can start with this, Mark, of just what were some of the bigger surprises to you uh, of this offseason? Look, I think you gotta, if we're going to talk surprises, you have to start with Cousins still for me. Uh, That was a shocker. Seeing Kawhi traded, of course, there's shock value in that. But the reality is we've been building up to a Kawhi trade for weeks now. You could even say months now. I mean, this thing has just been trending in the wrong direction for so long that maybe, okay, Toronto kind of, we only had a week to digest the fact that they were really trying to get this thing done. But Kawhi being traded ultimately i don't know that we can classify that as a just jaw-dropping surprise but well, well Cousins- what, what about the destination for Kawhi? was a, i mean yeah. I, they were not talked about as being part of this but i think a big part of that to me was that you know the spurs really didn't seem to want the things that team traditionally want in these superstar trades yeah i was in vegas i'd say i got to vegas Let's say, I think I got to Vegas eight days before the trade. I was in Vegas for three days and heard a lot of DeRozan for Kawhi chatter, but there was a lot of skepticism when you talk to people with other teams that, oh, Toronto's not really going to do that. Oh, no, the Spurs won't really. That's not going to be enough for them. But yeah, there's no question the destination. I mean, Toronto, as I said, they did kind of move up quick in terms of becoming a favorite and ultimately getting it done. But, uh, you know, the Spurs did, you know, some people will paint it as an exile that if they're, you know, they sent Kawhi to the East and they sent him to a, as chilly a locale as they could muster. I'm sure some people will see it that way. The Spurs will obviously, will obviously, Obviously, see, say no. That's not why we did it. We did it because we wanted an all-star back, and we got an all-star back in DeRozan. But um, I think if you really study the Spurs, you're not you're not shocked that that's the trade that they went for. Yeah, I I guess so. And I think that actually kind of fits in with even what their mo has been the last couple of years before moving on with Kawhi. Kind of lower ceiling moves. Let's just kind of stay in contention. We can't take a step back. You know, not really high risk, high reward. You you know, we're going to get good vets who are going to execute, who are going to be good in the regular season. And then, yeah, you know, do they match up with Golden State? Uh, 
you know, kind of questionable. So, um, you know, I, I guess if you really start to think about it and then, I mean, I guess the other question too is, and, and I want to get back to what you're saying about cousins, by the way, but, but, uh, the other question too is, you know, what was really there from the Lakers, from Philly, from Boston, uh, were they just, were real offers made by those teams and the Spurs just weren't interested or did those teams just never even really get to the point? No, I think there were real yeah. offers from all of them, Yeah, but they wanted DeRozan. They wanted an all-star. They wanted at least one proven piece. Now, if we're going to talk surprises, by all accounts, Philly has not been willing to move Fultz. That does surprise me based on what yeah. happened last year. Maybe that backs up the recent chatter that you know he's made some some strides this summer and is looking better and has convinced the Sixers that all the ills that plagued him last season that he can get past that um, because you would have thought as nightmarish as his rookie season was that they wouldn't hesitate to move Fultz so maybe the Sixers know something there that we don't see yet but none of those teams clearly could could put up or were willing to put a player into the deal as good as DeRozan and that was the clincher because obviously the the pick that the Spurs got in this trade is not amazing. Potal, depending on how you feel about him, the Spurs are probably higher on him than most. So that's another valuable piece in this thing. But, you know, from San Antonio's perspective, this was about getting an all-star back, and they did. Yeah, it's just surprising to me. I mean, they can't think that they're actually, you know, going to be competing for the Western Conference Championship with this team. But maybe this is just a present to Greg Popovich as he goes into his sunset years. And I guess maybe a present to himself since, you know, he probably still has the ultimate decision making there uh, of just, all right, I don't want to coach a, a bad team right now. No, I'm with you. It's I mean, it's curious because why did the Raptors do this? Because they couldn't win the East with a DeRozan-Lowry star duo. So how are the Spurs going to win the West? Now, the optimist would say, hold on, they just won 47 games basically without Kawhi and added DeRozan. They're not going to be worse, so they'll probably be a 50-win team with him. But yeah, I mean, I certainly don't see the Spurs as contenders in the near future. I was asked in my in my newsletter this week, who wins a title first, the Spurs? without Kawhi or Kawhi with his next team you have to say Kawhi's closer even with Toronto and then who knows what he's going to do in free agency but having watched the Spurs a long time they they've gone to the lottery twice and look what well look what they came out of it with they got (laughs) Robinson and Duncan. And I think they know how ridiculously fortunate they are to have done that twice. So it makes sense that I think they don't want to strip it down and and go full rebuild because just, you know, I'm no math whiz, but they're not going to, they're probably not going to get Duncan or Robinson the next time they go into the lottery. Yeah. No, those guys were both four year seniors, you know, no brainer type of picks. Um, so, DeMarcus, you're starting to say that uh, that was your your biggest surprise. And, you know, it's funny. I've almost, like, kind of forgotten about him because it, as much hand-wringing as there was, you know, I don't actually believe, especially coming off the Achilles tear, that he helps Golden State that much. You know, we don't know what he's going to be, but I think he, you know, it would surprise me if their most effective lineup includes him closing games. But just, you know, how did we get to this point with him? I mean, you know, there's some... 
controversy over you know what the offer really was from new orleans and you know dell dumps the only demarcus saying you know he knows what he told me and, and blah blah but i mean is it really just nothing else out there for him look i don't blame you for not remembering because i think that was july 3rd we're taping <laughs> this on july 24th and it has been i mean that july 3rd does feel like a lifetime ago because yeah. this is well been- I, I also had my bachelor party last weekend so uh, my, wow. my brain my brain is slowly slowly running back into shape <laughs> what, what was the live internet show for that <laughs> yeah someone someone tweeted that at me today and i was like uh you know what? it's it's probably uh i don't know but people probably know that i'm pretty boring actually uh you know since i just sit at home and watch basketball all the time so that was uh there wasn't any basketball watching but it wasn't uh it, it wasn't exactly a uh the sort of wild party that maybe some people faked for their bachelor party um now i'm now uh now you've thrown me for a loop so cousins oh, uh, yeah, cousins yeah I, I mean, look, I think everything DeMarcus is saying when he talks about his interactions with the Pelicans and not getting any offers, he's talking about July 1st on. And that's what led him to seek out the Warriors because once free agency started, there really was no interest. Now, I reported earlier this month at some point, again, I can't even remember yesterday, let alone what day it was. But based on what I was told, the Pelicans did go to DeMarcus before the end of the season and say, we would do a two-year extension in the 40 million range. DeMarcus and his camp, they didn't want it. They didn't want any part of that. They thought they were going to go into free agency and do much better than that. I think that's understandable, even given his injury, because he is an all-star and has shown that when he's at his best, he can do a lot of damage. So they were they were much more optimistic about their market than what they actually found in that market. But yeah, once July 1st came, there was nothing. There was just nothing close to what he was hoping for. And something else I reported, he did give the Lakers an opportunity to sign him at that same price point that he ended up going to Golden State with. The Lakers, I'm told they do like Cousins. He will factor into their future thinking, but they didn't want to make a move for him this season knowing they might not see him on the court until February. Maybe it's sooner, but I think February is the cautious estimate. Whereas the Warriors can happily wait until February to plug him in. And it's really going to be the playoffs when you know when they really need DeMarcus Cousins as as a as just a different kind of approach a, a, you know the, the the scoring center that they never had I'm sure you living in the Bay Area have heard that more than I have so I'm actually I'm I'm actually bullish on it I I love it I I can't wait to see what Steve Kerr can do and what he can get out of Cousins and just the daily interactions just having him in that scene I you know I I, I can't wait honestly yeah it, it's going to be very interesting you you mentioned the extension. I think a critical point there is it's an extension. A lot of people don't realize this, that you can sign an extension all the way up until June 30th, even when you're about to become a free agent. So it seems like that was the offer basically of, all right, you're going to sign this, but you, you know we're not going to sign this for you on July 1st. We're going to have you sign it now. So you're never even going to get into. Oh, and it agency. wasn't even... And let's let's be clear, it wasn't even available on June 30th. The right. offer was made, again, before the end of the season. I don't know the specific date, but at some point before the end of the season and when it was rejected, the Pelicans took it off the table. And, and basically it was, you have to take this now or we're pulling it. And so on July 1st or June 30th or even June 15th, that offer wasn't there anymore. So uh, DeMarcus had a window to take it, decided to pass, decided he'd rather go into free agency. 
agency. And, and that's how we ended up where we ended up. All right. Well, much more to get to with Mark uh, wrapping up uh, this crazy off season right after this. So we have a dog theme to our reads today. This one from Puppy Spot. Historically, the online pet industry has been filled with scans, but with Puppy Spot, they're puppy concierges and their no puppy mill promise means that you can rest easily that your puppy is treated humanely. They hold breeders to really high standards. Only 10% of breeders who apply are approved. When you find a puppy at Puppy Spot, it comes directly from an experienced breeder. And when they say directly, they mean directly because thanks to their travel program, your puppy will arrive in your home the same day it leaves its breeder. Contrast that with buying a puppy in a pet store where it may have made several stops over several weeks before it even arrived in the store. A puppy spot puppy spends its entire life before it arrives in your home with its breeder and its parents. At any time, they have over 100 plus puppies available of all types of breeds, from golden retrievers to Yorkies to Labradoodles. And their industry-leading health guarantee means your puppy is given a nose-to-tail health exam from a licensed veterinarian and up-to-date vaccinations before it comes home to you. So fetch your new best friend at puppyspot.com slash capspace. Please remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time on the program. And for a limited time with that slash capspace URL, you can get access to the Puppy Spot VIP program with discounts on everything you need for your new puppy from food to walking services. Go to puppyspot.com slash capspace. Once again, for that special order, puppyspot.com slash cap space i don't know that slash cap space url that you came from us let's talk about lebron you mentioned uh you know the things the things things we've forgotten right i mean you wrote a couple of weeks i think it was before free agency into your newsletter which of course everyone should sign up for at the new york times that basically the only thing that would keep lebron in cleveland would be some sort of family considerations uh, was this lakers thing just kind of always a, a done deal i, mean, I shouldn't say always but you know was it kind of fait accompli, you think, in the end? I mean, it feels like it now. It certainly feels like it. And, and I mean, LeBron, after game four, after the series, after the finals were over, I mean, he spent several minutes detailing why this was going to be a family decision and that his wife and kids were going to have more input on this than they ever had before. So theoretically, had they said, we really want to stay in Northern Ohio, I'm sure he would have strongly considered that. But basically, they've been living they've been spending their summers as LA residents for years now. So I think the family is obviously very comfortable being in LA. And to me, it's just, you know, it was a life decision for him at this point, because there's no, there was nowhere he could go that was going to put him closer to the warrior stratosphere than he was in Cleveland. So with no obvious choice to make on that front, he picked LA. It's where he and his family want to be. And I can't blame him. I lived in Southern California from age 9 to 26. <laughs> I covered the Clippers. I covered the Lakers. I grew up in beautiful Orange County. I miss Southern California every single day. So a very, I mean, a, a very sensible choice if you uh, if you have no <laughs> obvious option for basketball reasons to do something else. Well, so they're signing since then, bringing back KCP at $12 million. That seems to make sense. They needed a, a shooting guard who could make some threes. I thought he played well last year at an underrated season last year. But then the, the Rondo signing... Uh, 
for nine million. Lance Stevenson, four million. Now they brought in uh, Michael Beasley as well. Really, the only center with any experience on the roster is Javel McGee. We're hearing talk that they may try to play LeBron at center more, which might open up some more playing time for some of these guys uh, on the wing. But they signed a lot of ball dominant guys here. I mean, is this Magic's idea? Is this you know we're hearing they want to play LeBron in the post more, but you know they don't have a ton of shooters around him. Is this Magic? Is this LeBron pushing this? It seems like some pretty curious moves uh, to fill in around LeBron, at least for this season. I think I'm I'm basically fine with it all except Stevenson. That's yeah. the one that I just, I you know, look, they're only giving one-year deals out. So when you're only giving one-year deals out, you're limited in what you're going to get even this summer. I mean, everybody's taking one-year deals, but, you know, to get the proverbial shooters that you would want to, to play around LeBron, it's probably harder in the one-year market because there's just, you know, sh- it, it, it's astounding how hard it is to find shooting just in general in the NBA. Just, you know, it's it's a very, it's a, it's it, yeah. it's a premium and, and, it's a premium commodity but yeah. and their party line would be okay you know maybe it's not the greatest fit here but you know who else were were we supposed to sign you know i might say that like you know someone like wayne ellington if he what he signed for for the heat they easily could have matched that offer for example but you know i think it's just or even to get guys who are, are more defensive players and maybe aren't as ball dominant you know but but i mean I, I think that's their position is just you know maybe we just couldn't get anyone but, else but, to, but, who was but better saying all that, and, so yeah I think we're kind of in a, it's the Lance one that just Lance has to be the biggest LeBron irritant on planet NBA. They don't sign him. You have to believe that LeBron was apprised of this move before they made it. So he's clearly okay with it, but we're going to have to see how this works. Yeah. Is Lance just that annoying to play against that just not having to play against him? Hey, I remember. Is that the main appeal? I, you know, it's always dangerous nowadays to bring up LeBron, to put LeBron and Kobe in the same conversation i don't want to get anybody whipped into a frenzy but but i you know i remember when rajah bell was the kobe stopper and kobe really wanted the lakers to sign rajah bell so maybe it's the same principle lebron is so sick of playing lance stevenson that he he's ready to have him as a teammate but (laughs) i'm not i'm not judging i'm not gonna this season this coming season unless they make a much bigger move it's gonna be a bit of a placeholder season anyway i mean as currently constructed and really whoever they were going to sign on one-year deals it's not a championship contender yet so lebron wasn't going to be in the title mix with this group unless he got paul george or Kawhi with him so it's such a crazy mix of players that i understand the fascination and i shouldn't say i understand like i'm some old sage i'm going to be tweeting and writing about it as much as anybody because it is going to be irresistible theater to see how all these guys get along but this first this first season i don't know that it really matters anyway yeah i i guess so. i mean for as a fan i would have just liked to see them have a little better team around lebron one that at least you could feel like had some kind of chance to challenge golden state i want to you talked about how there are all these one-year deals philly uh, when they couldn't get their guy the lakers really focusing uh, on one-year deals i get that for the teams that really were looking to maximize 2019 space but there are so, so many more teams that have space in 2019 2018 was a very restricted market i thought that some teams could take opportunities to try to get guys for cheaper multi-year deals uh you know that are maybe above what they could have gotten in this market but maybe you know a couple two three four million below what they might have gotten in another market but still guys who wanted to lock in we really didn't see many of those except on the restricted market where maybe aaron gordon dante exum you could say maybe fall into that category to some degree why was that was that players just weren't
weren't interested in those deals. Teams weren't offering them. Why was it that there, we just didn't really see many of those? You know, a Tyreek Evans, more, one year, 12 it, million, you know? It, it's more teams weren't offering them. I mean, yeah. I remember before free agency started, I, I got a couple warnings from talk to some some execs around the league. And you know, people were saying one-year deals, you're going to just see nothing but one-year deals. And I, I heated it and I wrote it, but I wish now that I wrote it more. I wrote, wish I kind of trumpeted it more often leading into free agency because it was even more of a one-year market than I thought it would be. But I think once the players start looking around, the, you know, players too, maybe they say, maybe I'm better off trying to go back into free agency next summer when when more cash is flying around. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's it's really the offers just weren't there. Every, I mean, the m- money was so tight and just nobody, you know, nobody wants to take risks right now. Everybody wants those 2016 deals to go away and kind of start over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that was my hope is just, uh, it, and it always just seems like whatever the climate is for that year, that always just like uh, becomes, uh, people just go into a frenzy regardless, right? There's, you forget that things are eventually going to normalize, right? 2016, so all right, you know, we have the money, we're going to spend it. You know, we've got these guys with small cap holds and yeah, who cares if we'll be taxed out in Detroit or Washington or, or Charlotte? You know, we got to get these guys who got to spend this money now. Uh, and then this year it's, hey, you know, we don't have to give longer than a one-year deal. Let's uh, let's avoid screwing well, up. Look at look um, at the reaction when you do spend. Memphis spent, what, 37 mil on Kyle Anderson and just got roasted. And that's the nature of restricted free agency. I mean, you have to overpay in restricted free agency to get a guy away from a team. Yeah. That's, that's always the way it's been. So uh, I think really it seemed like almost any of, any of those deals in restricted free agency, you know, the team that made the offer just got torched. You know, Zach Levine, there's no way he should get an offer sheet like that. What are Chicago doing matching that offer sheet? I mean, that that, kind of, <laughs> no, that was that seemed to be the reaction to any of those deals. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they traded for the guy as a centerpiece of the Butler deal, it shouldn't have been a surprise. I mean, they they couldn't have felt like they were going to get him for less than 20 million a year when they made that deal. Um, so let's see what else I got. Oh, yeah. Clint Capella. We have not heard anything on him recently. There's just some reports coming out that he was being offered something in the you know the 15 million a year range, a little bit more than that, perhaps. Uh, and do you foresee any progress happening there? Because to me, it seems like Capella just you know he's a better player than that. Uh, he had a great playoffs. Are the Rockets going to just continue to try and squeeze him? And could he take the qualifying offer here, or, or, or is something going to give finally? He was so valuable to them and seems to be such a valuable piece the way they play that it's hard to believe that the Rockets are going to take the risk of, you know, letting him take his qualifier and then losing him next summer because they clearly don't want to lose him. Now, I know the reported offer wasn't that the first offer was reported as being pretty low in that range you said, but that I think a subsequent report came out that no, the Rockets had offered him quite a bit more than that. It wasn't the max, but you know, I have to say there, there's been no Capella chatter that's crossed my radar for two weeks and the Rockets have had quite a bit going on with the whole Philly pursuit of Daryl Morey. And obviously they're trying to get this Carmelo deal done, but just it's still on the restricted free agent market. It's still a long summer. We're not even out of July yet. So I'm sure Rockets fans are nervous about Capella, but I think it's a little bit too early to start hitting the panic button. I don't see the rock. I mean, the Rockets have Capella has turned into such a good player. I can't, I can't believe they're going to risk losing. Well, and I mean, even, you know, obviously there's a risk. But, you know, if you get to the point, his max salary next summer would be $27 million. He'd be an unrestricted free agent. He's never been hurt in his career. I mean, if they're offering him, you know, five years, $85 million, and next summer uh, he could get 
four years and 117 million you know at that point even if he takes the qualifying offer he actually comes out ahead in the deal so it does seem like they really are going to have to increase their offer to make the math work for him unless they unless the capella camp steps back and says you know what we, we've had one good season in this league and do we really want to do we really want to take the risk i mean you know again it just I, I understand it looks bleak but i i just think it's it's hard it's hard to give it a read right now and i just i i i my if i had to bet they will come up with something they will find some sort of middle ground where capella is signed before the start of the season i just i think it's too important to both sides to not get it done and in a broader sense with the Rockets, they let Trevor Ariza go one year, 15 million, another one of those one year deals that we were talking about. Uh, Luke Mbamute, 4.2 million. They could, in fact, have uh, matched that offer uh, because they ended up, uh, maybe they thought they needed the taxpayer mid level for Carmelo, but it, it, it appears that Carmelo is going to sign for the minimum. You can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on that. Uh, and then, you know, they brought in James Dennis also for the minimum, a, a one plus one. So, and it's possible that Carmelo and Ennis could end up being better than Ariza and Mbamute were. I'm not sure whether that'll be the case against uh, their chief competition, Golden State, especially Melo, trying to switch. But it, it does seem like, and now they're really, you know, these Capella negotiations have dragged out quite a bit as well. It seems like the luxury tax uh, has been a, a pretty significant factor. They are going to pay some, but uh, are Tillman Fertitta's pockets maybe not as deep as they were rumored to be when he put down $2.2 billion for this team? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any question that there are luxury tax concerns there because you know they, they are in the tax and Capella will take them farther into the tax. But I actually have liked the moves. I think Ennis is worth the gamble, but I also, I know that it's, you know, nobody, maybe not nobody, but there is a great deal of skepticism about the Carmelo signing. I actually like it. And I think the Rockets have earned the benefit of the doubt here. I think the way D'Antoni not only made the Chris Paul and James Harden thing work better than anybody imagined, but tweaked his offense significantly and is playing at such a slower pace than his son's teams and and has just shown himself to be so much more versatile as a coach than he was ever given credit for up up until this point. I, you know, I think, like I said, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And he also, this time, D'Antoni's going to have Chris Paul's help here. And that's obviously a fat, you know, something he did, he couldn't rely on in New York. And with Chris Paul there to be the mellow whisperer, I think I think the Carmelo move can can you know can work. Now, what does work mean? You know, are they are they going to beat the Warriors now? Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I can't sit here and try to claim that bringing in Carmelo is going to put them over the top in terms of beating the Warriors, but. I think it's going to turn out better than people expect. I guess I'll say it like that. Yeah, and I do think Melo's star is a little bit lower. Just uh, I think he can be more effective offensively than he was last year in OKC. He gives them a little bit of a post-up option, which they didn't have necessarily if they are also going against switching defenses. Takes a little bit of the pressure off of Paul and James Harden. But man, I mean, he just he gives you just such an open sore to attack defensively when they're going to be switching everything. And now maybe if that's the scheme all year, they can coach him up to the point where he can be effective in that so we'll see Jeff Bezelik certainly did uh perform some miracles last season um 
that Carmelo trade initially to go to Atlanta where he's going to be bought out bringing back Dennis Schroeder do you think that the thinking in OKC was that Schroeder was like a positive value on that deal are they happy to get him back or was it just kind of like well you know what we can't trade Melo anywhere else now no one can just absorb the 27 million we're gonna have to stretch him so isn't it better to get back a guy who makes a little bit more than what that stretch salary I, I think they wanted him and yeah that's kind of an OKC kind of move because again you know Schroeder has no shortage of detractors and people are going to look at the Thunder and say you know what they brought in another non-shooter what are they doing but uh, the Thunder they're another they're one of those teams that swing big and they take bold bold swings and I generally will always kind of applaud the team that tries the bold move and and you know how Schroeder fits in as a Westbrook understudy as a Westbrook sidekick I mean the skepticism there will be maybe as loud or even louder than Golden Golden State trying to work Cousins in but I will again be at the front of the line among spectators who can't wait to see it uh you know I I just I I you know they could have waved and stretched him and had him on the books for three years and and I I think this is better I think this is yeah give it a whirl and at least Schroeder can be traded again if it doesn't really work out you know you once you stretch a guy he's there and and you can't do anything about it so yeah I mean in in today's marketplace the Schroeder contract is very movable really okay you you would characterize it as that because I I think my thought on it was that it wasn't his move I was very surprised that he was in this deal uh because you know if you are really trying to compete is he a starting level of point guard you know I think you probably not at this point maybe he'll grow into that still um you know not like a great locker room guy by all accounts and so the teams that needed point guards your Phoenixes, your Orlandos you know they're they're not really trying to compete and and so you know bringing in a guy who's more established like him doesn't make a ton of sense they're trying to build to get a point guard with a higher ceiling than him but then on the other hand if you're trying to compete you want someone better than him so I I thought it was difficult and, and I mean the fact that he got kind of brought in as this bench guy but in theory a six million dollar bench guy because they're trading back mellow and you're contrasting what he would have been with that stretch uh i I thought the hawks did really well to get off of him but you feel differently the Hawks want it off and bad, but I, I guess I'm just, I, I, I don't see that number as like, I, I just feel like that's a number that's movable again. Maybe very movable is overstating it, but if, if the Thunder have to trade him, I think they'll be able to trade. Him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially, you know, once he gets back to only having a couple years left on that contract, I think the three years might've been intimidating for some teams as well. What's up with all these guys like backing out of contracts and going other places? Ironically enough, both of them to Sacramento with Yogi Ferrell, Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, do you make anything of that at all or are those just kind of one-off things that uh have happened because it seems like uh, those guys i don't know whether bielitsa actually backed out of the philly deal knowing that something was there for him in sacramento it seems like Farrell almost certainly did based on the timing uh, is this a new trend here now that you're gonna poach guys who have agreed and offer them more money or uh, what's going on i'll remember where i live i live in dallas so i yeah. can't say this is a new phenomenon not for Mavs <laughs> fans who, who you know, yeah uh, although that one that was different different because it wasn't it didn't seem like it was about the money you know that one was just all right i've made a decision i want to be somewhere else these ones it seems like both guys got more money than they would have gotten in dallas well yeah be a or, or, or three-year deal and you know again i don't i don't i don't think anybody's gonna you know i'm sure the sixers are are pretty upset um but he got he got a better deal and and i don't i don't know that one that was a weird one too because you know he's he's walking away from it i'm gonna stay in europe oh wait a minute now there's a three-year deal in sacramento i'm gonna go there but the yogi ferrell one was 
was was bizarre because the amount of money the the amount of extra money he's getting is nominal and you know unlike the DeAndre Jordan saga you know when DeAndre Jordan committed to the Mavs between the time he committed to the Mavs and went back to the Clippers, he never himself came out and said, I'm so pumped to be going to the Mavs. Whereas, you know, Yogi Ferrell agrees to sign a two-year, $5.3 million deal with Dallas. That day, he's at a basketball camp in Indiana, his native Indiana, and does an interview on TV where he basically says, there's nowhere I'd rather be. Dallas is the place for me. And by the next morning, he's walking away from the deal for huh. a few hundred thousand. So that's that that one is really really curious and and to me raised some raised a lot of eyebrows well to me it's his agent agreed to a number that was less than what his qualifying offer now they had pulled his qualifying offer but you know presumably they did that with the feeling that he was going to resign since they had those early bird rights on him uh and you know i I saw a few people were critical that i wasn't i hadn't recorded until he'd already gone to sacramento but a few people were like wait a minute why is he agreeing number one to less than his qualifying offer number two for a non-guaranteed second year which is not great to have either you'd rather just be a free agent again you would think so uh uh, you know, is it possible that that criticism just you know got back to them? They're like, all right, we you know we we want more, and then the Mavs were like, and then from the Mavs standpoint, they had the early bird rights on him. Like, uh, his cap hold was really small. Why not just pay him a little bit more? You know, that didn't really make much sense either. Maybe it was about a better opportunity to play point guard in Sacramento and build his value that way. But yeah, I think I mean, you're right. Though the whole I think thing that, makes I, no sense. I think the criticism was a factor. I mean, I mean well, yeah, you know, kind of the the rumbles that next morning where you know they didn't they didn't feel good about. The the deal they signed which yeah well and, and they shouldn't have but i don't know how it was his uh his agent couldn't figure that out beforehand <laughs> i mean that was yeah, uh it's- uh, that that was surprising to me, I, I would say. Um, but I, I actually think Sacramento is a better situation for him because with Smith there, with Doncic, you know, I, I think he's got the inside track on being the backup point guard in Sacramento. He can build his value a little bit more that way, maybe than he could have in Dallas. Where I think the, the one thing, the one thing I'd say though, in Dallas, he had he, he had a really big fan in Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle yeah. really liked you know, and so yeah, but he was going to be the third string point guard with JJ with uh, with Dennis Smith, and then they got Doncic to handle the ball too. I, I could have seen him. Very very easily getting kind of squeezed out that way a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I suppose, I suppose. I think, uh, I think the Mavs had bigger plans for him probably than it looks on paper. But we'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll see if Sacramento was the right call for him because there will be, you know, I, teams will not forget that he committed to one team and ended up with another. I suspect. Yeah, you know, if you're DeAndre Jordan, you can go back to the Mavs three years later, and you're good enough that it doesn't matter if you're Yogi Ferrell. There are there are other backup point guards uh, available and he's got a long way to go in his career um let's see uh, uh, let's do a quick read here and then we'll uh, we'll get back uh, a few more questions here uh, on this summer so i mentioned we have a dog themed read for you and this is from farmer's dog which gives you a vet developed meal plan created just for your dog as longtime listeners know we actually have cats so i had my buddy brett try out farmer's dog he was really impressed by it their dog mr hanky they tried to ease him onto the farmer's dog food with this fresh food with raw ingredients and putting it in with his old puppy food. And Mr. Hanky just ate around the old puppy food and just so enjoyed the farmer's dog. And especially if you are living in an urban area, farmer's dog is great because they deliver ready-to-serve meals directly to your door. You just complete this short questionnaire and you'll get that vet-developed meal plan for just your dog. The food arrives in pre-portioned packs 
it's refrigerated as well they're ready to just open and pour and it looks and smells like real food because it is real food the pet food industry isn't regulated and brands can basically put whatever they want in the food the founders couldn't find a brand that actually made fresh food so that's why they started farmer's dog and they actually try the food themselves they make it in a usda kitchen so you can start feeding your dog better today and get 50% off your two-week trial of fresh, healthy food and free shipping at thefarmersdog.com slash capspace. That's thefarmersdog.com slash capspace. That'll get you 50% off your first two weeks. I think your dog is going to love it. Studies show that adding fresh food to your dog's diet can reduce cancer risks by 90%. That's thefarmersdog.com slash capspace. I don't know if that's slash capspace URL that you came from us. So what is out there now that still needs to happen? It might be small, might be big. It could be teams moving salary you know maybe toronto comes to mind or you know who is the next disgruntled superstar who are the There's players more, on expiring contracts more? who could be available you want more <laughs> yeah we, we you know that this league is always about uh what's about to happen rather than what just did happen right well first i want to go i mean i'm going to i'm going to team usa camp can i focus on that first i'm i'm you know, i i, I want to see what it's like with pop in charge uh it'll be oh, interesting yeah. to see who actually shows up is Kawhi going to show up Jerry Colangelo told me last week that Kawhi was at best a maybe there seemed to he, be he's some... never done anything team USA yeah. related basically from what I recall now there seem to be some rumblings out of Toronto that no he will be there you know we will know it's Tuesday night I think as we're doing this so we'll know yeah we'll know in, in less than 48 hours if he shows um past his physical that's good yeah that's I mean hey that picture with him and Masai I mean that's you know I'm sure I'm sure rap fans were relieved beyond words to see that picture but just in i mean i don't know this 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 was an even busier month than i thought because i mean on one hand i think we all came into it saying it's going to be crazy it's going to be a circus it's going to be fireworks but i was just and I, I think kind of the only asterisk or disclaimer that i would say we you know we unless lebron was going to be joined by Kawhi or Paul George, wherever he ended up, we we weren't going to see a summer where the gap was closed on Golden State, and I think that's that's kind of the concern here. That after all this activity we've seen, and when you ask about what's next, I mean, the Celtics could always make a move, I suppose, to to shock us, but the gap really wasn't closed. I mean, that's that when I when I step away from this summer, that's what I'm going to focus on. That the gap on the Warriors was not closed this this summer as lively as july was yeah i'd agree with that i think houston took a little bit of a step back i'm interested to see what this toronto team looks like uh, going forward with Kawhi. i mean i think the defensively they could match up extremely well with golden state with the group that they have well, if there, you're looking but, for, you know, I mean, if you're looking I, yeah. for if you're looking for silver linings there's one you know the east which is everyone's favorite punching bag and with lebron leaving the east you know that those cries are are as loud as they've ever been but at least at the top of the east you know boston boston might have won the summer as much as anyone just by virtue of LeBron leaving and knowing they're going to get a Hayward and Kyrie back but Toronto if you know assuming Kawhi is healthy enough to give them something close to a full season you know I like you said the Raptors could be really good defensively and you know at worst a third potential you know somewhere behind you got Boston you got Philly and you got you got Toronto so at least we got three teams at the top of the east that that, that will be worth watching yeah I think the the next domino that I'm looking at uh I, I actually don't think Golden State's quite as invincible uh, as some people are saying because I still think you know there could be injuries there could be some performance 
regression with those guys getting older but uh i think the next thing to watch is going to be just who needs to get out of the tax even more you know i think okc with patterson with singler those are some moves you know what's the price going to be for that since they're out already two first round picks now into the future after the schroeder mellow trade you know minnesota probably going to dodge the tax but uh miami is just a, a little bit into the tax right now they've got some moves to make memphis is right up against it um you know obviously houston once they bring back capella you know maybe they could try to do something with ryan anderson uh you know golden state doesn't really have any obvious salary to move so you you wouldn't imagine there'd be anything with them then boston is kind of near the tax line don't have a ton of tradable contracts but uh it would with all these guys they're gonna have to pay in the next few years those they come to mind as well as a team that you know it doesn't really if you're that close it's almost like why don't you just get out of there so you don't start the clock on the repeater tax well with boston washington's another one too you know boston my kind of curiosity is more just will they come to camp as they are uh, with so much talk swirling around Kyrie and Kyrie potentially wanting to go somewhere next summer is he definitely coming back or will trader Danny do something even more aggressive than anybody anticipates with him but uh, you know they had such a good season without their two best players you'd like to think that they're curious enough just to bring back Hayward and Kyrie and see exactly what they have but I guess those would be my two big curiosities would be what Boston does and then how the Capella saga turns out because that that is you know I don't I don't want to diminish what you were trying to ask me before that is a huge deal obviously I mean if he yeah were he to only were he to just take his qualifier and potentially become unrestricted next summer that would be huge that would be a huge huge concern for the Rock what do you make of the Kyrie going to the Knicks he's not going to stay in Boston Uh, any uh any fire there with that smoke or or, uh no I I what do you think I mean there's so much chatter about him wanting to end up with with a New York team and I think I think the Celtics have to take it seriously um, I also would would imagine that Danny Ainge's intel on this is better than mine and again he's he's so proactive that if he senses that it's a real threat it wouldn't surprise me if he if he moved him I mean I think you you have we have to be at the point now where where nothing the Celtics do would come as a surprise so I think that's a situation that definitely should be monitored that just because the Celtics have been relatively quiet until now never assume it will stay that way with Danny Ainge in charge you could envision a scenario I mean obviously if they're on path to win 60 games next year hard to imagine he gets moved but you know if they're disappointing a little bit you could see that Jalen Braun and Jason Tatum maybe they're chafing a little bit at Kyrie dominating the ball at the end of games and taking every shot and you know maybe Kyrie coming back from that surgery isn't quite the same player and you know he he hurts their defense and they end up you know not being quite as good as as some of their parts where you could see if they decide hey you know what we're not in championship contention the chemistry is not working that well with Kyrie you know maybe they would consider that uh but you know again it's it's hard to think though of like with him having at the next year's trade deadline who is going to want to trade for him at that time I and mean, that's probably just going to be like a pure rental at that point and you know do they they're not going to trade him to someone else in the east who might be a contender against them it's be hard to think of where that destination would be unless it's someone and you know the the old extended trade like carmelo did uh, that you can't do that anymore at the trade deadline so it's tough to see where he could be traded at this point unless they did it before the start of the season and that seems you know pretty unrealistic as you were mentioning and right now just as we're taping this my good friend chris haynes just tweeted that Kawhi leonard will not be at usa basketball 
basketball mini camp this week in Las Vegas. So, so much for the Pop Kawhi reunion. That will have to wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, not I mean, the surprised. fact that he's never played. Yeah. Not I'm not shocked. In the least. All right. Well, uh, that that is a good one to end on. Thanks Are you going to be there? Am I going to see you out there? No, I am uh, going to be. I spent enough time in Vegas when I was there for that sports business classroom and summer league. I was. I did the entire time basically. I was there from uh, Thursday night to the following Saturday night. So that seemed like enough. Did you pass? Did you graduate? <laughs> I was a teacher, so I hope I. I, know, I hope I. I, I... <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to have you back uh, to talk about uh, the season that is upcoming before we get started uh, with the regular year. Sounds good, young man. All right, let's bring in Danny now. The big news of the last couple of days, Kevin Love agrees to a four-year extension for $120 million. The first two years are basically the most that he could get, $28 million, then $31 million. It's flat again for $31 million in the third year and then drops down to $28 million the fourth year. This extension kicks in, of course, after this season uh, and will be Love's age 31 through age 34 seasons. So there are a couple of different ways to think about this signing. One of them is through the prism of a potential trade, whether and so whether this is and that gets into the core idea, which is, is Kevin Love at this price a desirable contract or not? And where I'm falling for right now is that, you know, if I were a general manager, knowing what we know about Kevin Love's game and, and where he is in the arc of his career, he'll turn 30 in a few weeks, I believe, before the start of next season, is that I don't think he's worth this money i especially as he he ages i think that defensively he's already a problem i think it's going to be a bigger problem for some reason people underestimate the problems of a less athletic player becoming even less athletic but that makes them even harder to deal with and then offensively sure he could he could age reasonably well he's very skilled and he already has the jump shooting but i understand that my opinion is not the reflection of everybody and all the Cavs really need are one or two general managers to feel differently than I do to potentially have a you could draw an Alan Crabb parallel you could draw a Blake Griffin parallel whichever one of those you're more comfortable with this is another one of these ones that I feel has an inexact understanding of where the team is now LeBron James we believe is one of the greatest players of all time one of the top two and he had an unbelievable playoffs last year the Cavs did get to the finals which artificially inflates where they were as a team, I would say, because uh, their path through the East was a weak one. And if you lose a player like James, looks like they're going to bring back nearly the whole team. So this will be an excellent experiment. But I think they're going to be pretty bad next year. I think the, with this team, they're probably going to be right on the borderline of that top 10 protected pick that they owe to the Hawks uh, over the next couple of years. And then, of course, uh, it turns into second rounders. But, you know, the Cavs renovated their arena. Dan Gilbert wants to make the playoffs because he wants to prove that he can do that without LeBron. I got to go through the rest of the East, but... I would say I'm probably going to project the Cavs to be out of the playoffs this year. And certainly they're nowhere near championship contention. 
I tweeted that this immediately becomes a contract or that is a candidate for one of the worst in the NBA. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, that just the decision, right? I mean, they already have love for a year, remember, right? And it strikes me as pretty unlikely that he could play well enough to where you're like, oh man, we really got a bargain here, right? Like that's the point of the extension is you get him for cheaper. And he did take $8 million less than the absolute most that he could have gotten under the extension rules. But I think this is going to be one of those contracts that the owners were trying to save themselves from by limiting extensions in the last cba and now i think you know this one is going to end up being pretty ugly and and i'll let you react to that i mean i've got a lot more reasons why i think that i I got a lot of shit for saying on twitter that it was a candidate for worst contract in the nba one thing that really helps the Cavs is they structured this properly. I mean, just having it descend matches a little bit better. So because you, you look at the idea of negative value in a contract. And so if Kevin Love is a 15 or a $20 million player in those later years, at least that's a smaller margin between what he'll get paid and what he deserves. One other thing that I want to mention, just because I'm still wrapping my mind around it, is the expectation that the salary cap is going to rise somewhere around $6 million a year makes some of these deals a little bit more palatable than I'm thinking of them in my own head. That doesn't mean I think this is a good deal. I, I absolutely do not. But if that is more consistent, and we talked about a little bit when the estimates came out about why that's the case, and even though this is a, a you know the, the, the structure of the rise and the estimates and everything like that. So the share of the cap is going to be reduced this contract but i mean the the other part that kind of goes along with what you were saying is the idea of present value in the beginning years of this contract not only are we talking about you know kevin love being a, oh it's gonna be they got him on a steal but what what is the value for cleveland i mean this year maybe they are the fringes of the playoff race if owner wants that and dan gilbert certainly might with lebron spurning them for the second time but being that i mean this cleveland team is probably going to take a while to turn around at least to turn around to get to you know let's say winning a playoff series or two if we want to use that as a line and so committing to somebody who does not appear to be the on the right timeline is okay you're allowed to do that but this much money for that is a risky proposition i think the odds that kevin love is a starter by certainly the last season of this deal and maybe even likely the last two seasons of this deal start to get pretty low with his defensive limitations and now who knows maybe he plays so well this year he looks exactly like 2013-14 minnesota kevin love and then maybe i would change my tune i think the chances of that are fairly low you mentioned the defensive issues i mean love already even when he's playing with another traditional center like tristan thompson he's playing really as a center defensively if he is to play and he's probably going to play mostly the four this year if he has to actually guard on the perimeter against stretch fours you can't really play a switching scheme with him so i think he's going to be one of these guys who eventually just ends up killing your defense and while he can space the floor and that's useful that's much less valuable playing the four at the five you're automatically going to have a bad defense despite the fact that he tries as hard as he can i think you're automatically going to have a bad defense if he's your center and there's talk of the trade value here and that's part of why this kind of happened when it did right it was because six months from now because of the extension rule the the mellow rule he cannot be traded after signing this long extension 
with this type of races for six months so he will actually be eligible to be traded before the deadline that was part of the reason i think why they wanted to get this done now at least the Cavs did but you're looking for essentially a blake griffin type of trade situation right because with kevin love if you're playing him at the four or the five you really he doesn't help you that much at the highest levels i mean we've seen that against golden state the last few years uh he also has this pretty big injury history as well you know multiple surgeries on his knee the shoulder uh, a concussion history always seems to miss you know at least 20 games a year so and that's not going to improve as he gets older and he just had that knee surgery last year as well so the type of team that would be looking to trade for him is a desperate detroit situation style of team and as teams have gotten smarter those teams are fewer and further between you know charlotte or detroit or you know teams that are really just trying to make the playoffs and be okay love can help you there but if you're really trying to win at the highest levels and that's the sort of team that would be trying to trade for a guy in theory who's making this amount of money i I don't think love helps you that much uh, against the best offenses in the nba so maybe they'll be able to trade him i don't know if they could get positive value or not you know maybe like a denver or something another one of these teams that's just like you know perpetually trying to get the eighth seed uh might want to trade for him but it seems unlikely there's the injury risks they're taking on as well there's the performance risks that the Cavs are taking on as well and i know this deal makes him tradable as of the trade deadline but you couldn't have made this offer to him in march you know you can extend a guy all the way up until june 30th like you couldn't have made this offer once you see how well he's playing this year how how good this team looks as well you know i mean if you're on pace for 25 wins do you really want to extend kevin love like this i mean this is definitely a winning the press conference type of signing much more than it is hey you're actually going anywhere if they can get off of him for you know just neutral value i think they will have done well going forward and they're taking on all this risk now too i mean i think there's a slight chance it works out but not a great one along those lines of risk i've i'm enthusiastic and i've seen other enthusiasm for the prospect that this commitment and the structure of the team could lead to a return to something more in terms of offensive usage like minnesota kevin love certainly a possibility certainly something that Ty Lue could try they're basically paying for that to have worked before we have any sort of knowledge on whether it did. And the league has changed a lot since then. Kevin Love has changed a lot since then. The surrounding talent is yeah. not perfect Cause, for that cause sort of a system. If he's playing the four, you can just guard him with your combo forward, a Thaddeus Young type. And, you know, he's going to really struggle against that type of player. You know, he's not the post-up player uh, that he used to be. And, you know, that sort of combo forward, those guys are used to defending on the perimeter, you know, in a way that fours weren't bad back in 2013-14 right and with it'll be harder for him to like find cutters and everything because a lot of the the bigs that he's going to play with are going to be ones they can't shoot particularly well and if you play him and nance together then you have all sorts of defensive problems to yeah. get into. larry here. nance is the next big big extension target for the Cavs, so wa- watch out for that well and that's a big one to wa- I, i'm a little bit frustrated that i think that was windhorse that had that because i've you know I, I have this big list of things i'm writing this summer and one of them is a, a a rookie rookie scale extension preview and he's actually one of the most interesting ones for me in the whole league because of his low cap hold and just the questions of what cleveland wants to be moving forward and so if they get a deal done at that piece and probably like late august early september i'm going to be a little bit pissed yeah presumably that that one will go down a little bit further to the end usually it's only kind of the no-brainer type of guys uh but yeah i mean a lot of this i think is just oh lebron left us well we're still a destination but there are still people who want to be here cc uh yeah well we'll see when 
you know you're no closer to the playoffs four years from now in part because of this contract and yeah i think they easily could have rebuilt i think i don't know that this increases love's trade value that's part of the argument as opposed to having him on this deal now worth noting that he did have a player option for next year which would have been about 25 million rather than the 28 and a half or so that he's going to earn so the the Cavs did face that risk to some degree if you know he had like a season-ending injury this year or something like that although if they had traded him they wouldn't have i mean to me i would have been fire selling everything that they could but again they just you know that's not in dan gilbert's uh, plan right now and i think that the Cavs will ultimately be the worst for it anything else on this or shall we move on here i think we can move on i would say the the next biggest piece of news there aren't a lot of other big pieces of news to be sure but i'm interested in the continuing movement of the orlando magic they've been kind of cycling through they traded rodney purvis for dakari johnson and now they have moved dakari johnson for jerrell martin and cash that gives memphis a little bit more breathing room under the luxury tax it has been reported that they are discussing a contract with shelvin mack incidentally a former member of the orlando magic and they would need a they they would still probably be fine regarding the luxury tax but they have a couple of unlikely incentives and things like that so they might want to stay a little bit clear of that and if they didn't think Jerome Martin was a big loss then that certainly makes some sense at this moment I don't know for sure what Orlando is doing with Jerome Martin whether they are intending to keep him or just roll the dice or cut him maybe they got enough cash in this deal to make it work either way. they also got cash in the OKC deal for Jakari Johnson so I don't know exactly how to evaluate it from their standpoint well they, they got Memphis, paid one other weird part of this for i mean they, they basically just took yeah. on a bunch of cash uh they probably made money and with Jarrell martin i mean theoretically if you want if, if they decide that they want to give him one of their remaining roster spots because he was you know a, they have the ability to give him a qualifying offer it would be a very lucrative cap hold at least a qualifying offer won't meet the starter criteria in all likelihood but you know if they want to keep him around then they would have the mechanisms to keep him if they really liked what he showed and if if not it's super easy to let a guy go and one thing thing i will say about what orlando is doing here that i do really like is using flexibility like the limited amount have to kind of grease the wheels a little bit and get something in terms of cash or whatever and they do still have their mid-level i'm a little bit frustrated that they haven't used that but at least you know taking on slightly larger salaries getting some cash in return that's a way of using the wiggle room between the salary cap and the luxury tax if you don't have enough in, in exceptions to get you there for memphis this closes the door on another of their totally failed first round picks granted pretty much all of those uh, have been uh, up until jaron jackson have been non-lottery picks but i mean going back to oj mayo who at least played for them a little bit some of their highlights hashim the beat at number two damari carroll who ended up good but certainly not for the grizzlies they moved on from him uh xavier henry they moved on from him and then he, he actually might have done something in his career uh, had a, a little bit of a decent year for the lakers and then tore his achilles and was pretty much done by 22 grievous vasquez again uh, did a little bit of something but not much for memphis tony roten jordan adams uh, had that probably mismanaged knee injury and was never the same wade baldwin they cut after one year so that they could keep mario chalmers which is uh, looking pr- and jerrell martin for that matter that's looking kind of short-sighted baldwin's has improved enough that i think portland is talking about him being in their rotation this year so it's been real ugly uh, for memphis uh, where do you want to go next here 
Well, one other thing I want to mention with them clearing the space is it might be that they're adding Shelvin Mack to, and they would have to, well, they wouldn't have to, but they would likely cut Andrew Harrison. And that's a no, little bit surprising they, for me. They, Mack that's what probably, they said they're going to cut Andrew Harrison? Well, that that gives them 16 guys. And I think some people are saying, well, if you're adding another point guard, I mean, they could just nah, have they, three they and wouldn't cut somebody cut Andrew else. Harrison. They love Andrew Harrison. I hope not, because they shouldn't cut Harrison. He's a good player. They should, they should keep him around. I guess they got Javon Carter now as well. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I guess they've got uh, a few guys here now. I mean, presumably Takari Johnson will be cut as well. But uh, interesting news out of China with Dwayne Wade apparently offered three years, $25 million to play with the Zhejiang Golden Bulls. I probably mispronounced that. I apologize. Uh, the Heat, who are already above the tax, they only have, because they have non-bird rights on Wade with that minimum salary that he signed last year and then was traded to them. They can offer him $5.3 million this year with that taxpayer MLE, but you know that doesn't make a ton of sense for where they are. Or uh, up to $2.9 million with his non-bird, which would cost them a lot of tax money as well. Or $2.4 million, which would be actually $1.5 million in tax payments. So it's really a question of whether he wants to go to China. He signed that new deal with Li Ning, which might be part of the reason why he might want to go to china we'll see how much they're paying him but obviously his family is ensconced in miami we'll see what he ends up deciding uh what else we got here Noah Vonley agreed to a one-year deal with the Knicks that is partially guaranteed. We don't know the exact terms, but we can assume it's for the minimum. And to me, this is another reminder of the lack of difference between certain players that have been paid very differently this year. I mean, yeah. Vonley uh, versus exactly. Alex Len. Exactly. I, I like Vonley is... way better than Alex Len. Uh, I mean, maybe not in terms of his actual production this year, but in terms of a flyer. Yeah, in terms of a flyer, like the potential of fitting in the modern NBA, the possibility that he was misused in other circumstances. I mean, that's certainly possible with Len as well. But yeah, I mean, some of those guys are getting the minimum. Alex Len got two years, $8 million. So that that is a little bit frustrating for me. Hamadou Diallo signed a three-year, $4 million deal for Oklahoma City, who drafted him. This is significant. Then that was a pick that they traded for, actually, after the draft concluded. It was pretty interesting. And since Diallo will make less than the veterans minimum this is less money for the thunder than you could kind of have penciled in for one of those roster slots it still is you know this is basically the same as a roster hold but diallo interesting player certainly fits the press dmo of being a d maybe some three perimeter guy and we'll see how he turns out yeah and again the fact that he's signing for less than the veterans minimum is probably key here as well we mentioned yogi ferrell's move to the kings the second season of his deal is non-guaranteed as it would have been with the mavs mark son and i talked about that a little bit danny green said on his podcast inside the green room with danny green that he injured his groin last year against the celtics and he found out that there was a tear in his exit physical now perhaps he tore it later in the year and and he later clarified his comments that he didn't have anything bad to say about the spurs medical staff but did say that maybe he should have gotten a, a second opinion because there are people who are groin specialists but i do think that that puts his bad performance last year where he was barely playing by the time they got to that playoff series against golden state that puts his performance into a a little bit of a different light and hopefully he can have a bounce back year for the raptors where Kawhi leonard has passed his physical and the trade is official what that means how extensive that physical was was it just some guy palpating it and and a scan did they actually make a move around on the court you know who knows probably it was more limited they already know that they've they've got him for better or for worse at this point so 
uh, I don't know that it necessarily means that all right he's he's whole he's going to be the Kawhi Leonard that we all know just because he passed this physical with the Raptors but I mean it's better than not passing it in a bit of more recent news on Wednesday Vince Carter signed with the Atlanta Hawks it will be a minimum contract and what you know this looks to have kind of the idea of, of what he did last year for the Kings of being a solid vet how much a player will be a little bit inconsistent fortunately for the Hawks they're not paying him the eight million like Sacramento did this also could end up being a circumstance I think we're going to start seeing this more often where a team signs a player with kind of the understanding that if they're out of it and the Hawks are going to be out of it that they will let them sign a you know see what the market bears in terms of a buyout and maybe going somewhere that's more competitive although interestingly we would have thought that last year with Carter and it didn't end up happening sure it didn't end up happening and maybe if Carter has television aspirations after this I don't know what he wants to do with his career whenever whenever he retires and hopefully he plays you know as long as he wants to but having Turner NBA TV based in Atlanta could end up being fruitful for him there and you know there are certainly a lot of young guys for him to mentor on that team in Charlotte, we mentioned in the Summer League review of, of their prospects that Devontae Graham, who I thought played well, in the, and the Hornets traded a couple seconds to get, will actually, for now at least, avoid surgery on that uh, condylar lesion, which is a cartilage issue in his knee, so that's good news. And Antonius Cleveland, who we also talked about on that first Summer League podcast, he was claimed off of waivers by the Bulls. I certainly like David Nwaba better than him, and the Bulls could certainly just re-sign him if they wanted to, but it doesn't appear that they care to. Cleveland had a pretty rough summer lead, though. I'm not too high on where he's at at the moment. And uh, is that it? No, we got one more thing, right? I don't think that I think we can we can transition the other there's one other piece of news we can talk about in the context of the summer oh, league yeah. stuff good, good call. and but but one thing I want to mention just with the Kevin Love part just I, I it was still in the notes and so I want to mention it is that we'll have to see how this affects my my old favorite of pick protection the Cavs owe Atlanta the from the Kyle Korver trade and actually got renegotiated as a part of that Anderson Verjao trade if memory serves because there was there was a whole kind of logistical oh that was the, the the Portland one got renegotiated to make this one possible but so it's top 10 protected in 2019 and 2020 if it has not conveyed in either season it becomes two second round picks and cleveland could certainly pivot but this does kind of indicate that they're at least trying to finish outside of the bottom 10 and so that could mean atlanta gets the pick this year all right we will get to some more summer league stuff right after this from master class steph curry is one of over 35 masters now who have taught a master class the copy says that you have a once in a lifetime opportunity to learn from one of the greatest shooters in nba history i think that doesn't go far enough actually i think he is the greatest shooter in nba history over four hours of movie quality video lessons i've watched these videos they are really excellent i really enjoy the guy the poor sap that steph has out there to demonstrate the wrong technique when he he goes through uh, the shooting mechanics but Steph will teach you those shooting mechanics his footwork scoring techniques he also has a lot of specific drills that make you a better ball handler and he analyzes NBA game footage uh, with you to improve your basketball IQ what I like about master class is it really is a class they provide drills they provide ways for you to learn instead of just hey watch this video you know there's actually a learning component to it some of the other masters include Gordon Ramsay for cooking Malcolm Gladwell writing ron howard directing and they're always adding new classes across a wide range of fields and they're taught by some of the best in the world acting they have some incredible actors as well 
I really enjoyed the investigative journalism, which I haven't had quite time to make it all the way through yet, but that's taught by Bob Woodward. It's pretty good, especially in this day and age. So when you get started with Masterclass and get a free seven-day trial, masterclass.com slash capspace is that URL. Easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time here on the program. Learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com slash capspace. Once again, masterclass.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. So let's continue in alphabetical order here talking about some of these summer league performances. And that will bring us to the Dallas Mavericks. Start with Dennis Smith Jr. at age 21. Did not shoot the ball very well. Uh, He was 0 for 7 on jumpers off the dribble and was just 4 out of 17 from the field in the half court uh, on jumpers. 2 out of 12 from 3. He looked really good out there. I mean, there's a few guys that will say this about, uh, but the ball didn't really go in for him that much on the jump shot. Uh, I thought that just in general, he was getting to where he wanted to go on the floor. He only played two games, it's worth noting, as well. And I think, you know, his passing continues to impress me. I continue to think that's an underrated part of his game. He had some really nice wraparound passes to the role man. He, He was willing to give the ball up and just get the defense moving you know maybe if it wasn't a pass that led to an immediate assist but he knew he had drawn two people and he got off the ball so i thought that looked pretty good uh for him you know the fact that it would have been nice if he was hitting 40 percent of his threes uh and his off the dribble jumpers are, are so bad right now but i wasn't i mean it wasn't like a triumphant summer league but he looked fine to me i, I it was enough to change my opinion of him either way it didn't move the needle too much for me you, you mentioned his off the dribble I mean, he was two of 13 over all from threes 466 true shooting and i was a little more concerned than you were that just because he's a he's a nuclear athlete like dennis smith is one of the better athletes that we have in the nba that he wasn't creating that much separation but maybe that was also just the circumstance he's a second year player who played a lot last year in the summer league so it's not a big difference of opinion i would have liked to see a little bit more but that's also because i hold him to a high standard because i am a believer in dennis smith yeah i i thought he looked fine athletically personally i, I did think that he was trying to do more of a job of changing speeds because he has that acceleration i thought that he showed a little bit tighter of a handle you know he, he was looking to get guys on his back operate it in pick and roll but yeah i mean it wasn't it didn't look like he was playing you know a thousand percent either you know I, I still would like to see more from him as far as pushing the ball in transition he's still very effective there but to just really run it down guys throats uh, more than he does uh, would be nice but not much more to say on him jalen brunson who is actually a year older than Smith at 22 man did he have a rough time of it yeah and and his rough summer was not only the numbers I mean the numbers are really not good but just when I watched the Mavericks he didn't he looked like just a guy to me like if I hadn't known that he was a a second round pick and a high second round pick I wouldn't have really thought too much of him and you know any player coming in and and for as a point of point of mentioning here when we're saying these ages I put in what will be their basketball reference age for the upcoming season so like Dennis Smith we said he's 21 he turns 21 in November but that's that's the way I like to think about these guys and so for Brunson, this will be his age 22 season, 20 minutes a game, below 30% on twos, 348 true shooting. And yeah, I mean, I didn't, I think, but my bigger concern rather than his jump shot going in was just that he wasn't able to create much reliable separation. No, not at all. And when he did, he's so left-handed. If he goes right, he really has no chance of finishing, even if he can get a shoulder past the guy. Uh, you know, he's strong, so maybe he'd be more useful defensively as a switch guy. Um, but, you know, I think he's going to have to kind of be like a Matthew Dell Vadova scrappy type on defense rather than having incredibly quick feet um 
I mean, even when he could get going to his left, uh, you know, there's one time where Shaq Harrison, who had an unbelievable defensive summer league, just like packed his shot. He was on ball and just packed his shot into the third row. I mean, he tried to go up with like this hook shot at the rim and, and there's nothing. I did think that his jumper at least looked smooth. He was six out of 20 on threes. He was getting the shot off quickly, releasing it with a hop. But yeah, I mean, four out of 24 from two point range. I mean, that is just so bad. And then he also really got nothing in transition either. You know, he's not a guy who's going to push the ball hard he'll run the offense he knows what to do uh had 22 assists but he also had 15 turnovers and then another concern was he had one point on 11 isolations 0 of 9 from the field so if he's running pick and roll he is very very switchable uh so he's not really you know you may know what the reads are in pick and roll but if you switch him you're just not going to get any kind of advantage and he's not going to be able to hurt you there so especially at 22 you would hope that you would see more from him i i thought you know Devonte graham got shut down with that injury but i thought he was taking a pick later than him and i thought he looked way better in pretty much all aspects so not particularly encouraging for brunson the mavs do have plenty of depth at point guard they've also got Doncic who's going to handle the ball quite a bit so uh Brunson probably won't need to play this year but he didn't look remotely ready to create any kind of offense at the NBA level right now I'll briefly also mention Dorian Finney-Smith he is this will be his age 25 year he to me just looked like a solid pro you know like that I think that's the way to put it but a 25 year old solid on defense made some nice plays took a couple of pick and pop threes and you know he's more comfortable there but I I didn't think like oh he there's some major untapped potential in him yeah the fact that he looked more comfortable from three was good I mean I think he was like four out of 25 on threes in last year's summer league and you'll recall that he missed nearly the entire season with the dreaded quad tendon issue um defensively i didn't think you know he's kind of solid he's got size he could play as a combo forward maybe but he wasn't like locking guys out. he did have one massive block on uh christian wood at the rim but uh, other than that uh, you know he wasn't just like oh man this guy is really locking dudes down uh and, and he's still pretty limited you know the fact that the three ball looked a little bit better was nice but he's 25 right now you know i think we'll see what happens to him in camp let's move on to denver now start with uh monte morris who uh will be playing his age 23 season this year uh, i thought one of the more encouraging things uh and he played for rio grande valley last year because the nuggets don't have a g league team but so he was assigned there uh, on his two-way contract uh he shot 33% on 178 attempts last year. He had been relatively hesitant from the three-point line. He was 5 of 14 on threes in four games, uh, but did not make any of those off the dribble. Uh and so that's the next step for him but at least to be able to hit some threes off the ball you know even a couple that were a step or two behind the line or at least take them looked much more comfortable from out there than last season i thought and that builds on his more established skills as a guy guy who can push the ball who can get assists his assist percentage was 42 percent when he was on the floor which is pretty amazing and he looks a little bit it looks a little bit better in kind of some of the other elements of the game body is a little bit improved finishing a little bit better so i think that he's probably better suited as the third point which he is looks like he's going to be after isaiah thomas signed with the nuggets but depending on how isaiah's recovery is going morris might have the opportunity to establish himself as either a, a regular minutes guy or even as the backup if isaiah needs time to recover yeah and morris is solid you know defensively i'm not wowed by him you know i'd say that he is 
a little bit below average as an athlete but i do really like how he pushes the ball i think that's something that could be very valuable for denver if he does get the minutes and you mentioned his finishing looked a little better i mean he's not going to go up with power athletic finishes but he is able to at least use his body you mentioned he'd gotten a little bit stronger uh kind of finished with like half floaters as he comes down the lane line uh so uh and he looked a little bit quicker his handle looked tight i mean the guy knows how to play uh i think it's not totally out of the question to me that he becomes a, a reasonable backup point guard at some point let's talk now about tyler Lydon, who will be playing his age 22 season this year totally lost year. i mean last year in summer league even he barely played and, and he made like two shots or something last year i remember his stats were just like beyond awful in summer league didn't play at all this season then had the arthroscopic surgery i think that was in february played three games in the summer league i, I thought that the three-pointer looked good for him taking some pretty deep ones he was five out of ten from downtown also had eight assists so he found some cutters from the elbows that's something that the nuggets of course like to do uh he even made a couple of plays where he'd attack off of closeouts and then make the the next pass um but uh, other than being able to shoot the ball and maybe being somewhat heady offensively not really sure what it is uh, that his big skills are at this point in 77 minutes or 76 Leiden took 13 three-pointers and five twos and four free throws so even though he had that 46 percent shooting from three he still only had a 12.5 usage rate which is absolutely incredible for a first round pick in summer league even as a low usage yeah, first yeah, round he, pick in he summer and league and bender can uh, can join that club i guess Ooh, illustrious illustrious company for tyler Lydon. and yeah so he, so he certainly showed more than i had seen from him before more mostly due to the opportunity but i wasn't super impressed i believe malik beasley took more shots in a few games than Tyler Lydon took in all of Summer League. Beasley was getting up 15 shots per game in 29 minutes per game. And so that led to him scoring 16 and you're like, oh, 16 points per game. But I, I didn't love, you know, below average efficiency, only 25% from three. And for Beasley, I mean, we're, we're getting up there a little bit with him because he, he was the 19th pick in 2016. This is his age 22 season. And he certainly wasn't bad, but I wanted to see more from him. Yeah, he, he's been asked to do a lot of ball handling and a lot of scoring the last couple of years in summer league. Really hasn't had much of a chance to, to get on the court for Denver. His finishing around the rim was a struggle, only 4 out of 12, and did not really have the jump shot working particularly well either and then as a defender you know i mean we've seen him in this high usage role combo guard type of role with the ball in his hands in summer league but really what he was supposed to be coming out of florida state was this three and d shooting guard but he doesn't really quite have the size to me to guard some of the best shooting guards not to mention switch and and get up to guarding some small forwards on occasion and so you look at him and it's not really clear exactly what his nba skill is going to end up being because he hasn't shot the ball extremely well in his career and you know while i think he's solid enough defensively as a one-two defender not really standing out there either so you're right he's going to need to make some strides this year maybe someone who could get moved since they have a lot at the shooting guard position but you know nothing particularly encouraging to come out of this summer league for him that indicates he's ready to take the next step is there anyone else on Denver you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I think uh, Morris was tweeting a little bit about uh, Vlatko Chanchar, I think is how you say his name. He was the 49th pick this year stretch four basically on offense uh, in the half court he took 18 jumpers and three shots uh, around the rim 
I think what was his release, you know, probably not as good looking as Leiden's is, uh, a little bit longer and and more looping, doesn't get it off as quickly, but he hit six out of 16 from downtown. I think, you know, he's not an athlete where he's going to get up for dunks around the rim, but he knows how to play, he moves the ball in the half court, gets out in transition. I think just what really was best about him, I mean, you have to wonder about his physical capabilities, but I thought he was just, his activity level was good. You know, he boxes out a lot. He's an active defender even if not a particularly physically gifted one he moves the ball he sprints into screens he, he sprints the floor in transition so he's a heady guy i think you know maybe there's a chance that he can carve out some space for himself but he does have a lot of athletic limitation and just another traditional stretch four type where you know those are are becoming rarer and rarer at least on good teams these days the detroit pistons are a team that we are a going team that to skip. Is good, <laughs> that we are going to skip but i wanted to mention it so they've Detroit fans can look forward to getting that another point. Maybe you will hear my thoughts on Henry Ellenson. Maybe you won't, depending on how we record. Oh that yeah, podcast. no, no, you have to come but up we... to that. You're you're like, oh hey, you know, you could do that pod with Liam uh, on your own, which I totally understand because uh you know we gave him some of the worst teams, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh no, I mean especially for Detroit. I'll, I'll just pre- I'll just pre I'll just pre-record Henry Ellenson just just trashing yeah, him. Yeah, uh, or you can but... just play back your comments from last summer league. Yeah, I actually got. I'll mention this right now. I had somebody reach out to me on on twitter with a reply saying i'm sorry i was so mean to you last year for being critical of henry ellenson and i thought that i thought that was the most damning thing anybody said about henry ellenson this summer was somebody taking the time to apologize to me for it but we can move on to the golden state warriors i think the place to start there is with jordan bell bell is older than i think we 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 lose sight that a little bit because he wasn't really high profile until later in his career at oregon this will be his age 24 season and bell to me looked like a guy who was just too good for summer league he and that's more defensive than offensive of course the definitive performance for me from him was actually a game I attended in person in Sacramento after Marvin Bagley had a pretty good opening game they put Jordan Bell on Marvin Bagley and he just took away Bagley by forcing him to use his right hand and it's just the type of thing you would expect an intelligent NBA caliber defender to do and then you know average two and a half steals 2.3 blocks per game in 24 minutes and tried to do a little bit more with, with his jump shot but didn't, it didn't really come into play but I think this was about what we expected from jordan bell yeah he was only 10 out of 26 from the field uh now he played exclusively at the four which you know it's going to be tough for, for him to have much spacing i mean i i'm not worried about him as a finisher his finishing statistically was not great here but i, I think he was fine at the nba level last year you know when he's open playing with the big club he, he did do some grab and go in the assists, 17 assists in four games I and mean, that's really impressive he continues to show that passing ability um you know and he didn't have a five by five game like he did in last year's summer league so he's always going to be a limited offensive player i mean i think as a spot up guy maybe he can get there you know he has shown a little bit of potential with that jump shot at least from two point range i don't know about three he had a, i think one three uh off the dribble like late in the clock but i don't know if that's going to be his bread and butter anytime soon but yeah he did what he was supposed to do damian jones in contrast who will be playing his age 23 season this year just uh, has had it you know despite his athleticism and size really the recognition just isn't there defensively and then even on offense you know he's not that great of a finisher right like so oh he's gonna be the he's gonna play the javel mcgee role this year right but like you know javel is like a awesome finisher uh and jones just isn't that right he'll catch the ball he takes an unnecessary dribble he gets knocked off balance he dunks it a lot less than you think he would with his physical tools he can get up for some alley-oops but still not quite the way that javel mcgee would um 
but uh, he fouls a ton uh he ended up only playing three games then he had uh, a minor knee injury that he had to return to the bay area for but I mean, you, you watch this team a little bit more close than i did in summer league i mean is there much hope here for him at this point going into now his third season are you trying to get me to jump my column for why the warriors should decline his fourth year option i wrote the article why they should decline his third year option and that ended up kind of being right and with jones my, my biggest concern is that he he has trouble translating his athleticism into real impact you brought up the javel mcgee thing and certainly offensively javel is a much better finisher but defensively jones it's kind of like when he's there he makes that impact but when he, he doesn't read plays very quickly no. and he doesn't impact the game nearly as much and so there are a lot there are a lot of guys who don't make it in the nba because they can't react quickly enough to making the league and jones might end up being in that camp maybe at 26 27 he could make his way back but right now he's not an nba player jacob evans uh, whom they drafted at 28 this season will play this year at 21 suffered a toe injury so he missed the first game in sacramento perhaps that plagued him to some degree but he had a really rough offensive performance he was only 12 out of 37 from the field only had two assists uh, as well they didn't really ask him to do much with the ball in his hands but uh, the outside jumper was not working anytime he had to shoot on the move it really looked bad i thought his mechanics were inconsistent he would have a couple of jumpers from three that would look pretty good but then others where he would bring the ball up way in front of his body or seem to be off balance a little bit and if he's not gonna be able to make shots you know he really i don't think is gonna have much of a place on this team this season and they still you know for despite the fact that they got to marcus i mean they really have not solved the problem in the slightest especially it appears with evans having some struggles at least early they've not solved the problem in the slightest of finding some shooting off the bench on this squad i mean i guess jarebko kind of falls into that category but you know he's he's really too limited to play uh off the bench on the wing yeah i I would say that's fair and with evans to his credit i think he did a lot of things well other than shoot you know defensively he was active and intelligent not as much of a shutdown guy more of a kind of in in the area doing doing his thing and a solid team defender i talked about this a little bit at at various moments before summer league about how he can freelance off of he can freelance off of his guy if he thinks they're not a threat and get into stuff and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't just depends because sometimes it gives up open corner threes he did that in sacramento as well and i thought he did a nice job keeping the ball moving but the biggest concern is not necessarily that a shot wasn't falling i mean two for 18 from threes from three is certainly troubling and only got to the line for four free throws but the mechanics of his shot look weird i mean yeah. the ball is his elbows and the ball are way too far out from his body and maybe there is still some lingering lingering issue with him or something like that but there is some serious work that needs to be done on his shot whether it is whether his form is off right now or not it just it this can't be the final form let's move on to Houston Trey Duval, who is now with the Bucks uh, on a two-way, we won't talk about him too much, but uh, you'll remember he was a, a top 10 recruit uh, to Duke, ended up going undrafted. Had a lot of turnovers, but you know he definitely has nba athleticism he's got some craft in the pick and roll zero in between game whatsoever um he's shooting the ball with a little bit less hesitation and there was a discussion that uh, he had this eye issue at duke which finally got resolved and he started shooting the ball a little bit better after that just with his athleticism and the fact that he was such a high recruit i think you know giving him a, a two-way is a good idea you know he had some moments in the first game then he really struggled in some of the later games um joe chi who uh will play this year at a reported 23 years of age 
you know, I'm not really sure still what to make of him. You know, I think he's going to be a solid three-point shooter. He could block shots when he's in position around the rim, but I didn't really see anything to change my opinion of him that, you know, he's a limited finisher. He's too skinny. He's too slow. So like he can stand out of the rim and block shots on defense and he could bomb threes on offense, but that's really all that he does in totality on the basketball court. I feel like he's a Rorschach test in certain ways because he does things well that we value, but he does so poorly at a lot of the other elements of the game that it's concerned. I mean, th- when he had to guard on the perimeter, guys were just flying by him. It wasn't even, he was providing very little resistance. And it, that's not because he's a bad athlete or anything like that. Uh, I think he's a pretty limited athlete. He's limited, but he's, he's not, you know, abysmal or anything like that. But I like his skill level offensively. I just, I don't really see how the overall package works against NBA competition certainly worthy of the gamble that the Rockets gave him the the non-guarantees on on so many years of his contract basically the hinky special for for Joe Chi is is a worthwhile contract but I I I mean considering the high stakes for this team this year and moving forward I would rather just have that roster spot none you don't necessarily have to clear that roster spot on October 15th you can wait until the guarantee date see if he's improved at that point and then have it for a buyout guy I'll be fine with that but and I he just, has some value them just getting... as a cheap roster slot uh, versus the tax at right. only 1.3 million. Absolutely. So they, they can make that work as well. But I mean, if, if they're going to, if they have guys on the table that could theoretically be a part of a Western Conference Finals or an NBA Finals, I wouldn't be haunted by cutting Chi to make it work. No, I, I, I'm not sure what the path is, especially because the Rockets now, I mean, their summer league team switched everything just like the big club and, and some of those ugly blow-bys you were talking about happened in those situations. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, I think it's Stein, uh, who uh, will play this year at age 20, was drafted last year in the, in the 40s in the second round, did not sign an NBA contract, but instead came over to just play on a normal G League contract, not a two-way, uh, and was signed now to a three-year deal uh, uh, another guy who can come in on that rookie minimum, save them some tax money to use up a, a roster spot. He was billed as a, a stretch big coming out of the draft, but really didn't take many last year at Rio Grande and only took one this year. He's got still that moon ball lefty jumper that's got some side spin on it sometimes. So I don't know that that, you know, the stretch aspect is not really a part of his game. Um, he does have like close to NBA athleticism as a big, I would say, you know, uh, he moves his feet pretty well on a switch. He, he's gotten a little bit better at finishing around the rim, although he's not going to go up and dunk over people. You know, he can get a limited alley-oop, you know, to the rim instead of the corner of the backboard. And he has a few ball skills, but probably not enough that you really want him doing anything, attacking the basket off the dribble. He'll try to just drive left every time. He did actually make a right-handed layup uh, that I saw, but... uh his finishing it's just a he doesn't get good extension on his finishing he seems like he has pretty small hands and i have some hope that he could maybe turn into a third center type um you know defensively but it, it's i'm not really sure offensively really that he has that much value at this point in time so he's gonna have to either become a better finisher off the rim become more of a playmaker on short rolls or be able to actually start making uh, those three pointers one other thing I wanted to mention with Hart, I, I say it Hartenstein, that's just me, that his body has gotten so much better than when he was at the Hoop Summit. I think that was in 2017. Yeah. And, and he's always he had a pretty deep. decent decent strength for his age. I mean, I, I saw him going back sure. to, I want to say either 2013 or 2014 at the at the Euro camp, like next generation when he was like a 15, 16 year old. Um, 
So he always has decent strength, but yeah, he looks even better now. Yeah, he was, yeah, he's more mobile, and I like that he got to the line five and a half times per game, which really does help his efficiency, even when that three-pointer isn't falling. But yeah, I mean, the the threshold test for the Rockets is different than other teams. I'm hopeful that it can work out, but I am a little bit a little bit skeptical. And DeAnthony Melton, the second-round pick for the Rockets, he is age 20. And I, he was a little bit shorter. I talked about this a little bit with Miles Bridges when we did that. He was a little bit shorter than I expected, but he's very sturdy. To me, physically, he looked like a, a shooting guard, but he also spent time guarding threes. And also he was the primary defender on Aaron Holiday when the Rockets played the Pacers relatively early in summer league. And my biggest surprise with him, partially because of this last year with USC, with everything that happened, was that he was more comfortable with the ball in his hands than I expected, which isn't necessarily something the Rockets are going to need on day one, but it's just a nice skill set for him to have. Yeah, and I thought his... His strength was very impressive. You know, going to the rim, he would not get bumped off his path. He's able to create space. Not a guy who's a really explosive finisher, but at this level, he, he was able to have some success. The big thing that stuck out was he shot 7 out of 10 on off-the-dribble threes out of the pick-and-roll but was really inefficient aside from that and you'd have to wonder you know how sustainable it is but he looked comfortable shooting deep three-pointers you know which again is a guy who missed all this time maybe he really had a chance to to focus a lot on that he's kind of like Malik Beasley size but stronger you know combo guard size really you know didn't strike me as like a a guy who's really going to be you know guarding like a Bradley Beal type of guy necessarily you know unless he's really able to just improve his intensity uh and I think of him as you know sort of an average athlete I mean he's not explosive the way a guy like Malik Monk uh, would be uh, although he's got a better handle than Monk and got in the lane a little bit more I thought he he wasn't really advertised to be that great of a passer but he had four assists a game and he also pushed the ball pretty hard in transition he actually had six possessions a game in transition which was impressive you know people are talking about him contributing this year i might want to slow down there a little bit but for a guy drafted in the mid 40s he he had himself a a solid summer league even if the overall efficiency wasn't there outside of those off the dribble threes are you ready to move on to the pacers yeah you know shinanu anuaku should discuss briefly Uh, i actually happened to be sitting next to him for a little bit and struck up a conversation a really nice guy uh so it pains me i have to say you know he didn't really have a great summer league again this is his third year now um he wants to play a skill game shooting the ball for mid-range you know not really able to get out to three he's got kind of weird two-handed form likes to throw a lot of passes as well but he's also been very turnover prone and just doesn't really have a ton of athleticism or explosion not really a switch guy again to fit into their system so i i'm unfortunately struggling to see the path forward for him at this point to really get into being an nba rotation player you know he can rebound he can play tougher on the basket a little bit but he's not an explosive finisher so he's got a lot of limitations i mean i think to really have a career you know he's not gonna be able to finish on pick and roll so he's gonna have to get that jump shot out to three i think and then defensively if he can't switch and he's not a great rim protector you know it's kind of a struggle to see what happens there as well you know with that big body he's the guy who you know he's kind of got that kendrick perkins like body where hey once you back in the day when you needed to defend in the post maybe that could have been useful but you know that skill isn't really there anymore and then uh vincent edwards uh, didn't watch a a ton of him but he had a a rough shooting time only 12 out of 34 from the field and only four assists uh, as well 
worked almost exclusively as an off-ball guy he had over 60 percent of his well actually i should rephrase that he had 75 percent of his offense was either spot up transition or cut so he wasn't working with the ball in his hands at all and with that being the case you would hope he could be a, a lot more efficient not a guy whose game i was that familiar with but certainly nothing in his performance to indicate that you know, he's going to be a better than average guy for where he was drafted i think this was the his pick was the one that was bought in the whole second round because teams have gotten such negative publicity from selling those picks lately uh and uh we didn't see a ton from him yet but now i am ready to move on to the india pacers let's start with their first round pick for this year aaron holiday this will be holiday's age 22 season because he stuck around ucla for a long time and his you know from the eye test other than him being a little bit he looked a little bit small to me just because i mean a lot of nba players are bigger this is just just a part of this his game to me looked good and it was surprising at the end of summer league to see that the stats didn't really bear that out and so you kind of have to reconcile those two things yeah i mean when i say that he looked really good guys were kind of bouncing off of him as he would go to finish uh i thought he made some pretty solid passes out of pick and roll now i happened to watch his first game he had 14 points in the first half of, of his first game uh, he showed off a lot of moves as well, pass fakes, able to get by guys, change speeds. I mean, he looked very polished just in terms of uh, the moves that he had in the arsenal, able to take a pull-up three uh, as well. Uh, when he was playing against Houston, uh, he showed the ability to beat uh, some switches and but then you look down at his total stats for the summer league he shot two out of 20 out of the pick and roll and his overall numbers were even worse because he turned it over 30 percent of the time so he had six points on 30 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler he did average 6.5 assists per game which was solid and the three-pointer wasn't falling he was below 20 percent there seven out of 24 defensively he had 11 steals because he's a holiday you get some steals but he picked up a lot of fouls he likes to dig down off of his man the perimeter more of a college style uh now if you can get away with that it's useful but he committed a lot of fouls that way and then defensively he got absolutely roasted by a couple of opposing point cards including trey young in that game we talked about where young had five assists in a row at the end of the game he was blowing by holiday holiday wasn't really able to direct the ball and then stay attached to his man as well he could kind of do one or the other uh but you know he'd get wrong footed a lot of times as he would try to jump to the ball to force him a direction he, he would just get beat and be totally behind the play um uh, I still think, though, you know, his finishing around the rim, given his size, looked really good. His strength around the rim looked really good. So I, I think, despite the fact that his stats weren't great, you know, I, the eye test was solid with him, and, and I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm way down on him because of these stats. I'm a little bit concerned because his finishing did look good, but the windows are going to be a lot smaller, especially if we're talking about that first game when I think that was the one that was against the Rockets. A lot of teams have better shot, not only shot blockers, but better shot contesters at the rim than than Houston did in that game. And Holiday, you know, like, I wonder about where he where he's going to fit in. To me, he looks more like a solid backup than a starter. And when you draft a guy in the 20s, that's fine. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just that you're going through that. And so considering the Pacers want be a playoff team would ideally love to even host a playoff series this year it makes sense for them to have holiday as the third point guard and then if he earns getting more than that they could presumably move Corey joseph but i don't think they have to do that based on what we've seen so far you can kind of let it play out a little bit more organically and if that sounded you know that was kind of a mixed reviews it will not be as mixed for his former college teammate tj leaf and this will be tj leaf's age 21 season i just thought he was he was awful overall and one of the biggest concerns for leaf for 
me was his rebounding. I mean, he he had a 13% defensive rebound rate, 11.5 total. And the 11.5 is actually less troubling to me than the 13 because he shoots a lot of threes. He took about four threes per game, only made 20% of them. But I mean, there just isn't, there isn't much there, there with TJ Leaf. And that is a big concern. Yeah, it's really difficult. Other than the offensive glass, where a lot of his offensive boards came off of his own tips. I really didn't see much. He had one grab and go where he pushed it and and set up a three for someone else. But he was three out of 15 on threes. And and his weird form really makes it hard to have much versatility to his jumper. He kind of brings it up on his fingertips. And it it takes a while. And only 17 out of 40 on twos is pretty rough as well. You mentioned the rebounding, 11 defensive rebounds in four games. Uh, Only had three block shots as well in four games. At least he didn't foul. (laughs) But uh, And and then only nine out of 20 around the rim. And this guy is supposed to be athletic traditional power forward you'd hope that he could finish shots around the rim didn't really succeed at a great rate there and, and it just you I mean what i watched film of all those and it just didn't look like he was getting great looks around there either you I mean you know it's 20 shots there could be some random chance there but you know, he really was being stopped at throwing up some pretty bad shots that were hitting like you know only the backboard it wasn't like these are rimming out uh, um and, and this is one of those guys we were critical of the pick taking him 18th at the time of just you know what is this guy right i mean all right i maybe he can hit a three when he's wide open but defensively he's really slow afoot very narrow hips struggles to get down in a stance uh and so why not you know he's not gonna like go punish a wing in the post he can't defend that guy on the other end so just what is the point of tj leaf and not only that but he's not even doing the things that he ostensibly is supposed to do well finishing around the rim hitting his threes at this point so yeah certainly very little indication that he's ready to contribute to the big club uh, this year and that's probably part of why they brought in Kyle O'Quinn and they have a lot of options uh, on the wing as well to play smaller because I don't think Leaf and and he was really bad last year when he did have to play you know when they had to play he and Al Jefferson together that was a disaster um can talk a little bit about uh Edmund Sumner who was drafted in the 50s last year coming off a torn ACL so on a two-way contract still it was a two-year two-way contract I believe uh he started at the two for them then played some backup point guard doesn't really have a point guard level of handle at this point pretty loose handle slow dribble uh and in terms of his athleticism you know, it didn't really he's got some length but he's real skinny and you know not a guy who's really gonna wow you with his explosion or athleticism i, I didn't really see and he's gonna be 23 this year you know i didn't see a ton to really excite me about him and then uh Alize johnson interesting player a power forward he likes to shoot from floater range Go, go to hook shots skinny guy but a great rebounder but just doesn't have a ton of strength or explosion to finish him he really pursues the ball very well i'm just not sure he's the type of athlete to really operate as the that undersized power forward but it, i mean he does really play hard which i appreciated not quite ready to you know we didn't see a ton of him shooting from outside necessarily at least in the games that i watched uh but just the the way that he plays was kind of interesting i like that he plays hard but i I couldn't say much uh, excited me about him beyond that so uh anything on those guys or uh shall we uh do some plugs and get out of here 
I don't really have much to, to add on either of them. Johnson was older than I expected at age 22 coming out of Missouri State. That was one thing I thought was a little bit interesting. And, and he only finished one for seven, I think, on threes. But he was o- over 70% from the line. So that, w- that was a little bit nice from him. We'll see. I think he has a fully guaranteed contract for this year. So he will get an opportunity. One other very small piece of news, since we're not going to, we might not record or dunked on for a little while. I just wanted to get out there because it happened. Uh, per Shamstrania, Devin Harris is in, and I like this phrase, strong talks on a one-year deal with the Dallas Mavericks presumably he will replace Devin Harris in the guard rotation assuming a deal gets done I believe Devin Harris will be in Rick Carlisle's rotation until he hits his late 40s or early 50s so we'll we'll see how that works out and then for plugs the, the only thing I have right now is I just recorded a real gym radio podcast with Kevin Pelton on basically everything that has happened in July summer league trades and all that and that should be out either Wednesday night or Thursday during the day all right thanks so much uh, for listening and we'll be back uh, sometime on Monday, likely, with our next episode. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.